Good morning, happy Mother's Day to you, you ladies and moms. We're in a series, a relationship series called What Happy Couples Know. <clears throat> started last week and today's title is It's Mutual. Hopefully it makes a little more sense in a few minutes. Uh, we're going to spend the first few minutes catching up or reviewing. Uh, some of you aren't here and as I found out, most people didn't do their homework. So um, maybe this crowd is a little better than the first service. But anyway, What Happy Couples Know. Relationships are based on um, good relationships make good life. Bad relationships make life difficult. So we want to help you with your relationships. And these principles are good even if you're not in a, in a committed relationship with someone else. There's no significant others. Uh, there's a lot we can learn um, <clears throat> from what God has to teach us this morning. So we talked about last week. <clears throat> we all imagine what that relationship's going to be like. Maybe when we're a teenager, young adult. Uh, haven't found that person yet. So we imagine what it's going to be like. And of course, part of it's going to live happily ever after. When I do premarital counseling, I kind of chuckle under my uh, breath a little bit because, you know, life happens and life, couple, relationships get, get complicated and get difficult. Uh, but we come with, we, we title them hopes, dreams, and desires. Uh, this is natural. This is normal. These are good things that we bring and into our relationship, and they, all aspects of life. Uh, we talked about um, where are we going to live. We're going to live in a country, going to a city. We're going to live in a house that we bought or rent. Our, in our case, we have to actually build our house. That was pretty cool. Um, <clears throat> in the country, in the woods, in the trees. So where are we going to live is part of your hopes, dreams, and desires. Uh, another part is kids. Are we going to have kids? How many kids are we going to have? Are we going to keep having kids until we get, get a boy? Uh, my wife's grandfather got seven girls, never did get his boy. So uh, kids are a question. Uh, and our hopes, dreams, and desires, chores. Who's going to you know, do the dishes? Who's going to cut the grass? Who's going to fix the car? Who's going to do the laundry? And uh, don't believe there's, you know, so, uh, the males ought to do all this stuff and females all this uh, you work that out according to your likes, dislikes, your skills, etc. Uh, <clears throat> what are we going to drive? Maybe when you're young, you drive something like this. Then you get three or four kids. Everybody's driving minivans. We got a half a dozen so out in the parking lot, right? Because we got kids here. So transportation is another part of the issue. Uh, another issue is spirituality. Are we going to go to church? Not go to church? What kind of church are we going to? We're we going to your church, my church. Uh, we take the kids to church, we're going to teach them about God at home, maybe we don't believe in God, uh, whatever it might be. <clears throat> and of course, money is a big one, because money affects all those things, right? We're going to send our kids to a private school, well, that costs money. Uh, what about college? Are they going to go to college? Are we going to save a lot of money? Are we going to spend every money we get, all the money we get? Are we going to run up credit card debt? Are we going to live on a budget? Well, all, all those things. So we, how are we going to treat each other? There's just so much that goes into this basket or this box about our hopes, dreams, and desires about that future relationship. <clears throat> so, um, the fascinating thing to me as I thought about this was when I was single, I thought this way. When I was single, I thought, if we can get it up on the screen, I never daydreamed about becoming the perfect person for someone. Now, maybe it's just me, <laughs> but I think most of us fall in this, into this trap. I daydream about finding the perfect person for me. All right? And then they'd have to put up with me. So I found my wife, Deb, and she was perfect for me. And so I walked down the, we walked down the aisle, and 
I put a ring on her finger, and then I, you know what I did? I handed her my box, my hopes, dreams, and desires. And if you're going to be my wife, you're going to want me to be happy, and the way I'm going to be happy is if you fulfill all my hopes, dreams, and desires, right? Of course, she had her own basket, her own box, and she hands me that. So hopes, dreams, and desires all of a sudden became what? expectations and when they're expectations there comes a weight there comes a responsibility there becomes a burden it's something I've got to do and uh, completely different <clears throat> so it feels like expectations we gave you a definition last week your strong belief that something will happen or it will be the case in the future get our dream house we didn't get to build our dream house at first but you know 11 years ago we moved into it so uh, in the early 50s I got to build that house all right, so that was part of our, my, my hope, dream, and desire and became an expectation. Now what happens is often is we are attempting to either recreate or to avoid something from our past. If your parents had a great marriage, you want to reproduce that. You know, my parents got along like this, so we need to get along like that. My parents did this, so we need to do that. If you had a not so good a model in your parents and you say, no, I don't want that that model, I want a different model. I want my, our relationship to look like this. And so it usually comes with a mixture of those. Some of the things we want to reproduce and recreate and some of the things we want to avoid. <clears throat> and again, these become, these desires become expectations to our partner. And then we talked about where it often gets in this compromise mode or 50-50 mode where it says, I will do this if you do this. All right, I will do this dream of yours if you do this desire of mine. And the problem with that is that 50-50 thing is the line is different for, for both. And I'm always judging you. You're not fulfilling your 50%. And you're judging me. I'm not, you're not fulfilling, uh, I'm not fulfilling my 50%. And so it becomes, uh, expectation becomes, a, we said, a debt-debtor relationship. And so I thought, well, how can I best illustrate this? So let me try it this way. If you owe me money, you can't give me money, can you? So you come up to me after service today and say, Pastor, oh, that was a great message, great teaching today. I want to give you 100 bucks. This has never happened anyway, by the way. <laughs> All right. Maybe today will be the first time. Uh, so I want to give you 100 bucks, but, but you owe me 200 bucks. So what am I thinking at that point? Am I saying, oh, thank you. That was so gracious and kind of you to give me that 100 bucks. Now what I'm thinking is, when am I going to get my other 100 bucks, right? You can't give me something when you owe me something. There's no gratitude there. There's no thankfulness. And so that's what happens in, in, in those relationships to become debt-debtor relationships. There's no gratitude. In fact, there's no love. I don't love you for giving me 100 bucks when you owe me 200 bucks, do I? So how do we stop this? How do we stop giving our, our hopes, dreams, and desires becoming our spouses or significant others' expectations? So we, we gave you the answer last week, and it was this. You need to ask yourself this question. What do I owe? What does he owe me, or what does she owe me? In my case, what does she owe me? And if you were here last week, you know the answer, right? What's the answer? What does he or she owe you? Nothing. Nothing. All right, good. You got it. So if I approach the relationship saying, you don't owe me anything, you don't owe me fulfill any of my hopes, dreams, or desires. That's not that you owe me. <clears throat> they are not expectations. So we said it this way. Happy couples 
No, they owe each other everything. I owe my wife everything. I had a great life, and, and she's a big part of that. But I are, are not owed anything in return. I, she's not, she doesn't owe me any of my hopes, dreams, and desires. That's what happy couples know. And it's kind of counterintuitive, right? It doesn't seem natural. But it, you find happy couples that you know, and I'll guarantee you this is what, how they operate. Now, another problem we have in Christian marriage is this. Christian marriages aren't marriages that are conducted according to some Christian code of conduct. <clears throat> Being Mother's Day, sometimes preacher types get up here and we talk about mom, do this, 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 and this. And if you don't do this, 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 and this, you're not a good mom. And so moms leave not feeling so great sometimes. Same thing with marriage. We, you know, we go in the Bible and we pick all these things. Good husbands do this and good wives do this. And so you've got to measure up and you've got to make sure you do this and this. What it's boiled down to is this. It's an exchange of goods and services. Does that sound like a marriage? Oh, that sounds like a business, right? Where you exchange goods and services. So Christian marriage is, ideally, is, we told you this last week, a submission competition. So I'm trying to get to the place where I'm below you, and you're trying to get to the place where you're below me. So that's how we're competing. We're competing to be at the end of the line, not at the front of the line. And so it gets rid of bargaining. It gets rid of debating. It gets rid of arguing. So where does this come from? Well, Jesus, in the last day of his life, he got together with his disciples, uh, Passover. We were in Israel two weeks ago, and we got there on a Thursday, and Friday was the last, Passover lasts for a week. We were there for the last Friday of Passover, which is after Easter. <clears throat> The uh, whole city shut down. You could walk down the middle of a street in a Jerusalem with no cars. It was amazing. But anyway, um, he gets these guys together. He says, okay, I've been together for three and a half years. I've taught you lots of stuff. But before I leave you, I'm going to give you one last thing. And this is kind of going to summarize life for you and ministry for you and being a Jesus follower and, and what you need to do. And he said, he called it a new command. Now, we don't understand how offensive that is. If you were a Jew and uh, you had the commands, you have God, the Ten Commandments, and the other laws of Moses, you could debate them, you could argue them, you could elaborate on them, but you don't make new ones, right? Unless what? You're God. And so Jesus said, hey, I'm going to give you a new commandment. And here it is. My new commandment is this. Love each other. Now, that wasn't new. Oh, hey, that's in the Old Testament. That's in their Bible. They, they knew they were supposed to love each other. But here is the part that's new. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. That's different. That's new. And so he could look at Matthew and say, Matthew, well, you know, you were this tax collector. Everybody hated you. You were a traitor. And you didn't have any friends except for other tax collectors. And I said, hey, hey Matthew, come follow me. I didn't tell you how to stop, change, get rid of your business, anything. I just said, come follow me. I showed you grace. I showed you mercy. I want you to treat other people that way. One of my favorites is Nathaniel. We don't know a lot about Nathaniel, but one thing we do know is <clears throat> Nathaniel said, when he heard about Jesus, he said, can any good thing come out of uh, Nazareth? He dished the whole city, the whole, his whole family. Yeah, nothing good comes out of Nazareth. And Jesus said, ah, Nathaniel, come follow me. Uh, even though you've thought about me that way. I don't think about you that way. 
So then Jesus suffers and dies, and he's resurrected from the dead. And then I think eventually the disciples got it, and they said, aha. They got that aha moment. We are supposed to treat other people just like Jesus treated us. So we know what the golden rule is, right? That's do unto others as you want them to do unto you. So we got Jesus upped it. So we're going to call it the platinum rule. I think platinum's worth more than gold. I'm not sure. (laughs) The platinum rule is to treat people the way that God through Christ treated you. So not the way necessarily the way you want to be treated, but the way God through Christ has treated you. Another way to say it's this way: when you're not sure what to say or do. Love like God, through Christ loved you. So, okay, I, I don't know how to do in this situation. I don't know what to do in my marriage. I don't know what to do in my parenting. I don't know what to do. You don't know what to do? Not sure what to do? Love like God, through Christ loved you. So, we get this imperative from Jesus, kind of summarizes what it means to be a Jesus follower. <clears throat> and then Paul comes along, and he elaborates on this statement. In fact, every imperative in the New Testament, especially that Paul wrote or Peter, is an elaboration of this principle. So when it tells you to do this or not to do this, it's an elaboration of what Jesus taught to love each other the way he loved us. So Paul, what does that look like in marriage? And so Paul is writing a letter to a church in, in, in Ephesus, and he explains it. Now, <clears throat> Paul is ministering to Greeks and Romans, He's not ministering mostly to Hebrews or or Jews. They don't have the Old Testament background. They don't believe in one God. They believe in multiple gods. And they believe in a different, there's a different cultural, ethnic. So this is really complicated and difficult for Paul. So here's where Paul starts. Ephesians chapter 5, 22. Wives must submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Now, this is kind of interesting because in our culture today, especially for you ladies, that probably bothers you, doesn't it? Because it seems to think, oh, guys are more important to have more value than us. In fact, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago, Southern Baptist Convention rewrote their Baptist face and message and they included this in there. I got a call from the local newspaper. She must looked up Southern Baptist pastors and she called and specifically asked me what I thought about this statement. The funny thing is this, though. In the first century, Culture, you know the, the lady's reaction to that would have been? Duh. Because in their culture, rather Greek, Roman, and, and pretty much even in the, in the Jewish culture, there's something called legal just jurisdiction. So a man had legal jurisdiction over women. That means he basically could treat her like property. Buyer, seller, give away, mistreat, or whatever. It was property, like a car or something else. That was the culture that women lived in in the first century with Jesus. <clears throat> so consequently, there was, you're not telling us anything we don't already know. We are forced to be submissive to our husband, like it or not. Now, <clears throat> the interesting thing about that verse is that in the original, Bible is written in Greek, by the way, not English. <laughs> so in the original Greek, when you read that verse, it basically says this. Wives to your husbands as to the Lord. There's no verb. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? No verb. Just husbands, uh, 
wives to your, to your husbands as to the Lord. Um, so, in Greek, what happens is, if you have a, a verb previous to this, then it's just implied in the next sentence. So we need to go back a sentence, right? And find out what is the implied verb for this verse. Now, this is a game changer in their culture and in, even in our culture today. So let's go back and look. What's the verse before that say? Submit to one another, not just husbands and wives, but everyone. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now here, the reverence for Christ is really important. That word means awe. So, as a Jesus follower, if you're not, we're glad that you're here. Uh, these principles will help you, I'm sure. Uh, we hope you become one. But as a Jesus follower, I'm in awe of what Jesus did for me. He loves me unconditionally. He suffered and died for me, whether I accept his gift or not. When I accept that gift, I get my sins forgiven. I get purpose and meaning in this life, and I get to spend eternity in heaven with him. Now, when I think about all that, all I can be in is awe that God loved me that much. So with that awe, I'm to transfer to my relationships, whether it's moms, their kids, husbands and wives. That's why we submit, because we're in awe of what Jesus did for us. Now, we call it mutual submission in the husband-wife relationship. Sub means under. Think about submarine, right? It's a boat that goes under the water. Now, now here's the interesting thing about value. Sub does not mean less value. Does a submarine have less value than a boat that goes on top of the water? We might say it has more value because it can go on the top or under the water. So just because it goes under does not mean it is of inferior quality. So, mutual submission. Now, this is a choice. This is a decision. It's not natural. It's not automatic. We don't do this. We're naturally selfish, right? So I want to put me, me first. So for my put me second or put myself last is, must be a choice. I think moms are a good example of this. Um, you know, if there's four pieces of pie and there's five people in the family, who goes without? Mom does. She puts everybody else before her. <clears throat> so it boils down to this. I say to my spouse, I'm here for you, not because you're here for me. I'm here for you because Jesus is here for me. That makes sense? I'm here for you because Jesus is here for me. Now, we might be different. We are different. But we're not of equal, a different value. We're of equal value. Now, ladies, I understand. Your pushback is, what if my husband is not worth submitting to? So I did a survey, ladies, and I came back. And the results were, 100% of us are not worthy of submitting to. All right? So that doesn't very helpful, is it? So, consequently, we need to deal out of his or her box not because he or she expects it, as I handed it to you, not for that reason, but because God requested it. God said, that's the way I'm to treat one another, especially uh, my significant other. <clears throat> now, as shocking but to us, but not to first century ladies, as the first part was, this second part, dressed to husbands, would have been shocking to first century men. 
And that, interesting, if you read the text, Paul spends a lot more time talking to the men than he does to the women. So he says, husbands, this means love your wives. Well, wait a minute, wait, I don't have to love my wife. She's property. I own her. I can do what I want. I don't have to love her. No, 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 no. Not if you're Jesus follower. Love your wife. Again, goes back to that basic principle, right? Just as Christ loved the church and gave up his life for her. I always tell ladies, you got it easy. You just have to submit. We have to die. <laughs> you know, I mean, come on. You know, that didn't end well for Jesus, did it? We have to die. And he goes on. He says, <clears throat> in the same way husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. <clears throat> it reminds me of something Jesus uh, Jesus was uh, teaching one day and some Pharisees came to him. We can read the verse out of Mark. It's not on your outline. And they came to try to trick him with a divorce question. Uh, trap him with a question. Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife? Now if you go back to the Old Testament, go back to the law of Moses. Moses said, yeah, you, for this reason or that reason you can divorce your, your wife. What had happened with that law is laws change. They kind of evolve, Right? By the time of Jesus' day, you know what a husband could do? He could say three times, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you, and you could be divorced. So they came and asked Jesus a question. We got the law, and now we got what exactly works out now. It's practical application today. So what do you say? And we won't read it, but basically he said there's no reason. And he said there's no reason because <clears throat> you become one flesh. And Paul's going to refer to that. So what he's saying is women had the same worth as men, which would have been radical in their day. No man thought women were equal to them in Jesus', Jesus day. So I put on the outline, Rome and religion declared women property. That's the way it was. Some parts of the world is no different today, is it? Is it? Some Arab countries, for example. But Jesus declares you precious. So, I love him like I love my own body. What does that mean? Well, what is life to you guys, husbands? What is life to you? Is it about your job? Is it about your hobbies? You know, what's most important to you? What is life to you? And then put her before that. Put her before your job. Put her before your hobbies. Put her before, you know, your personal health and well-being. Whatever it is, put her before that. That's what Paul's saying here. And then he quotes, he refers back to, to creation and, and a Genesis. He says, a man leaves his father and mother, joined his wife, and the two are united into one. <clears throat> Jesus said, there's no reason. Because you take one apart, you got two halves, don't you? It's interesting. You put two ones together, you get one. And you get two halves. So I put on, on your outline, oneness is his or her best over yours. So what's best for her? That's more important than what's best for me. And then he goes on. Again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself. He must respect her husband. Now, I gave you homework last week. And we're going to put it up on the screen. Uh... I was disappointed in my small group. Nobody in my small group did their homework. So here was the homework last week. Hopefully you did that. 
We want you to take and figure out what is in your box, your basket. Most of these things are good things. Nothing wrong with those things. It's natural part of life to have hopes, dreams, and desires about your job, your education, your relationships, your children, all these things. Money. And so I've been trying to figure this out this week myself. And then secondly, are, are you or have you expected someone else to carry it for you? And especially early in my marriage, I, I gave this whole thing to my wife. I said, here, make me happy. And um, 13 years in, we were marriage counseling. So you see how well, well that worked out. Um, so I apologized to her. I said, yes, I've done that <coughs> uh, over the years. And I asked her to forgive me and said, I'll try not to do it anymore. All right? So... You have to learn, do that homework before you can do this week's homework, okay? So if you haven't done that, hopefully do it today. So here's your new homework, <clears throat> couples. Ask your spouse or significant other what's in their box. I would suggest you not do it the same day. So I'm going to ask my wife one day, and then she can ask me another day. <clears throat> now let me warn you, ladies. Most of us men are going to tell you what? Nothing. I don't have anything in my box. It's a lie. But we're scared to talk about these things. We are. You ladies are a little better at it. I know I'm stereotyping. But we're scared. But what this question does is it says, I'm all in. Right? I'm all in. Give it to me. I want to know. Interesting thing about selfish and unselfish people. Less self or selfish people are the happiest people. Think about the happiest people you know. Are they self-centered and everything's about them? No. It's the people that sacrifice themselves, they give them themselves, are the happiest people. So consequently, less self-relationships are the richest or happiest relationships. Now, I know one of the pushbacks, ladies especially, one of the pushbacks, but guys also, <clears throat> if I let the pressure off you don't, Pastor, you don't know what's going to happen. My wife's going to run up our credit cards. My husband's going to quit his job. Or he's going to become a cow's potato. Or she's going to, you know, not have sex with me anymore. I, I don't know what it is. Becomes, again, debt debtor becomes a 50-50 deal. It becomes a tug of war. I get what I want. You try and get what you want. So here, here's the key. There's no hope until you let go of the rope. When you stop trying to control. And the fascinating thing is that's exactly what Jesus did, right? In the garden, we got to be in the garden of Gethsemane. It's pretty cool. In that garden, Jesus said, okay, I don't want to die. I don't want to suffer and die. But not my will be done, God. And he let go of the rope. And he suffered and died for you and for me. And he went first. He said, while, you know, Bible, <clears throat> Bible says, while we were yet sinners, meaning we had no interest in God, Christ died for us. So Jesus said, I'm going to die for you whether you accept my gift, whether you love me back or not, I'm going to die for you. He went first. And so he's our model. Let go of the rope and go first. So I'm going to sit down with my wife. I'm going to say, okay, what's in your box? And then let me give you some, some, some words of wisdom. Then shut up. All right? Just shut up. Get a paper and pencil. Start writing those things down because you're not going to remember them. So write them down and then 
Take action. Not because she expects you to. Because you want to. Go back to our key verse. Submit to one another out of awe for what Jesus has done for you. Now I know one other big pushback is, but what happens to my stuff? Tune in next week. We'll talk about your stuff. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. We thank you for this principle of Jesus. Uh, So awesome. It's so powerful. It's so right. We do these things. Our relationships are awesome. And God, our self gets in the way sometimes. We've all made mistakes. We all need to fess up and ask, ask some significant people to forgive us. And then God, start working through this process. God, I pray for this whole group. We'll take this seriously. I mean, we want to have good relationships. Nobody wants to have a bad relationship. We've got some principles here. We've got some keys. We've got some things we can do rather than just being frustrated. <clears throat> so God, give us the, the power, the willpower, the desire to actually do these things and to be honest. It's going to be hard to be honest with our spouse about some of our hopes, dreams, and desires, especially if have been married a while and they just haven't come true and maybe not very little possibility of them coming true. And God, I pray for the young people. Man, they got their whole lives in front of us. I mean, if they can get this principle down early in marriage, how awesome their relationship will be and a model uh, for a lot of people that are struggling. But it all starts with your love for us, God, and we want to pray for anyone here that's not a Jesus follower. <clears throat> Today would be the day you step across that line. It's so awesome that Jesus would suffer and die for you, that he cares for you that much. He loves you unconditionally, just the way you are. He just says, come. I'll forgive you. I'll have a relationship with you. Nothing more awesome than that. A loving relationship with Almighty God. Father God, we thank you. Most of us here are Jesus followers already. Uh, We've got lots of work to do on our relationships especially. So we ask for your help. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.